welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 20th of October 2013, entitled The Valley Gate, and the Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 13. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Good evening. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for the privilege of uh, being able to preach this evening, and it really is uh, an honour to um, to preach God's word from the pulpit. Uh, if you'd like to turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, and I think we've looked at three gates. We're considering the gospel in the gates of Jerusalem. And um, if you remember, uh, Nehemiah um, went to view the gates back in Jerusalem, and um, you know the wall was burnt down, and uh, the work had stopped to rebuild Jerusalem, and uh, Nehemiah is going back, um, he's been sent by the king with the king's uh, blessing, and um, he's going to view the walls, he's going to view the gates of Jerusalem, and um, what we're doing is we're looking at each gate, and uh, we've looked at the sheep gates, which we uh, were thinking about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the first gate that we need to come to in, in salvation. And it's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. That's where our Christian life starts. And then we move on to the fish gate. Um, if you just turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, um, sheep gates in verse 1, verse 3, the fish gate. And this spoke to us about being fishers of men, about evangelizing. And that's, you know, one, the first thing, one of the first things that we need to get involved in when we become a Christian is to reach other people. Um, and last time, where we looked at the old gate, which is in verse 6, and we were thinking about the old paths, the old um, truths of the gospel, and uh, we were thinking about some of those. We were thinking about the Bible as well, the, the, the Bible that God has preserved for us, the old King James Bible for the English-speaking people. And, um, you know, the old truths never change. The old paths stay the same, and we need to, we need to keep in those paths. And if we do then we'll be blessed. Uh, this evening, we're going to have a look at the valley gate. And uh, if you'd just like to look down, there's actually 10 gates altogether mentioned in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, verse 13, which is where, where we're going to take our reading this evening, and um, it says in verse 13, the valley gates repaired Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoah. They built it and set up the doors thereof the locks thereof and the bars thereof and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. Um, it's said that the valley gate was situated um, on the western side of Jerusalem and it's actually where Nehemiah starts his journey. Okay, if you just turn back to chapter 2 and uh, remember that um, he was riding upon a beast in, verse, in 12 and verse 13 says, And I went out by night... Sorry, I went out by night by the gate of the valley. So this is where Nehemiah starts his journey at night time, to go through this valley gate, okay? Um, and it's also where he finished his journey as well. If you look down to verse 15, we see that. Then, when I, then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. So Nehemiah returns to the valley gate, which he went into. Um, this gate would have been at a low point in Jerusalem. 
there are quite a few uh, valleys centered around uh, around Jerusalem and um, the valley gates would have been in one of these valleys so um, this would have been a low point in Jerusalem if you go to Jerusalem today um, you know if you uh, if you go around the walls and um, you'll see that that the um, that the 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 tierra the the ground around around the walls goes up and down and as you go out to the the eastern part of Jerusalem where the east gate is today golden gate uh, there's a big valley there okay so you'll see valleys there today and um, so this gate would have been at a low point in Jerusalem and for us as Christians tonight this gate is going to speak to us of the low points in our Christian walk in our Christian life and you know not all low points are bad points not they're not all negative they may seem negative to start off with but as we're going to look tonight we can see that um, the low points often um, are where trials come and where humbling comes but we're going to see tonight from the Bible that this is where God wants to bring us as Christians and we're going to see the reason why the valley type experiences you've heard that term before valley experience are the places where we as Christians learn to trust they're the place where we learn humility it's the place where we learn personal growth and where we learn to trust the Lord and without these experiences in our Christian lives we're not going to have our, te- our faith tested so we need to go through some of these valleys these experiences these trials and um, somebody uh, once said that uh, fruit is usually grown down in the valley there's not a lot that grows up right there on the top of the mountain tops not really but if you go down into the valleys that's where you see a lot of uh, the fruit um, is grown that's where a lot of the vegetation is um, so let's look at the valley experience tonight in the life of our Savior and it's also in the life of the saint as well. So it's going to be applicable to us. And I want us to look at two things tonight. First of all, the position of the valley. And secondly, the produce of the valley, what it produces. So first of all, the position of the valley. Um, as was stated earlier, to get into that valley for Nehemiah, he would have had to have descended from a certain height. You go into Jerusalem today, you will be ascending and descending. You want to go to Jerusalem, you will have to ascend because it's on a mountain, it's on a hill. When you want to go out, you'll be descending. So Nehemiah, to get into that valley, would have had to come up from a height and gone down. He would have had to have descended. And tonight, this reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, the height from which he descended. Um, Let's just have a look at a couple of scriptures. John chapter 1. And we see here the height from which our Saviour descended. We know he came down to this earth 2,000 years ago. But let's just have a look where he came from, the height. Verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Word was, what's the next word? with God okay so in the beginning our Lord Jesus Christ who is the word was with God in the glory that's where God resides today that's where he resided 2,000 years ago 
And this is where our Lord Jesus Christ, from the beginning, resided. So we see here the height that the Lord Jesus Christ has. He's with the Father. He's in the glory. Um, you can't get on a plane today. You can't even get on the space rocket. You can't even ascend to that height. It's so high, the glory. We can't even see it. That's why we need faith. Okay, but we'll be there one day. But this is where the Lord Jesus Christ was um, with the Father. Um, if you just turn to John 17 and verse 5. We see again here that the Lord is talking about the time before the world was. Verse 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So here we see an example again of the height of which our Lord Jesus Christ was, okay? Um, before he came down, this, is, this was the height of his dwelling, okay? And uh, we know that the Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh, okay? He put on flesh, and he became uh, man, the son of man, and he dwelt here on the earth. Let's just have a look at a few scriptures. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And here we see the equality that Jesus uh, has, even as a man, upon this earth. It says, who being in the form, that means in the body, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus didn't think that it was strange or that it was wrong to be equal with God because he was. Okay, um, another verse that will bear this one out can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 4, where it speaks about the image. Okay. Um, Verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world, which is Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, then it says, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we see here that Jesus Christ is equal with God, and, but he is the image of God. You know that when you saw God in the Old Testament, when there were Old Testament um, uh, visions and uh, people saw God in the Old Testament, this is what is called a, a Christophany. And this is where the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to men, to women. This was Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That's wonderful. That's our Savior. And we see the height that he came from the height of glory um, and that's where the Lord Jesus Christ um, resided can you imagine the glory in that that high place with the Lord Jesus Christ there with the Father well we're going to be there one day if you're a Christian you're going to see God in that glory face to face That, that should excite us you know the hard times that we're going through, think upon that. It's not far away. Not far away. Um, so Christ came from the height of glory. Let's just have a look at the high-top experience for the Christian. We've seen the high-top experience for Christ with the Father in the glory, but let's have a look at a high-top experience for the Christian. I wonder this evening, can you remember what's called a mountaintop experience as a Christian. Can you remember a time where you felt you experienced real blessing 
and a real closeness to the Lord. You know, we often speak about mountaintops experiences. Maybe we can think of some time in our Christian walk, our, our Christian life, where, wow, that was a special time, Lord. It might have been a time where you shared the gospel with somebody and you led them to the Lord. For me, that would be a mountaintop experience. They don't happen very often. But when they do, you feel oh, that you're on the mountain, you know. Um, I remember back when we used to work in uh, Chester, at the mission, we had um, an elderly gentleman. He must have been in his 80s. He was called Mac. And um, we uh, took him home. We used to bring him to church. But we took him home one night. And um, I, I had no idea that he, he wasn't a Christian. I thought he was, you know, saved. We, uh, we came into his front living room. And uh, he just basically asked if he could know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal saviour. And we had, the, we had the privilege of leading him to the Lord, didn't we? What an experience that was. And I can tell you, that night, I could hardly sleep. You know, I felt I was, I was on cloud nine. I did. Um, so maybe, you know, you can, you've got your own experiences, which, you, which is precious to you. Um, do you remember what it was like when you first became a Christian? Do you remember what it was like where you had those times of devotion with God? You know, every morning you get up, and you open the Bible and God spoke to you like you've never heard it before. Well, you haven't because you're a new, a new babe in Christ. And you experience God speaking to you. And you remember seeing Jesus only. All the problems around you, but you just saw Jesus. Where are we today? Where are we right now in our Christian walk? Let's just have a look at a mountaintop experience for the disciples. Um, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Matthew 17, and this must have been, an well, it wasn't, it was an extraordinary time for the disciples, but this was literally and spiritually a mountaintop experience. Uh, verse 1 says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Can you imagine that? What a, a um, privileged people, group of disciples these were. And it says, and, beheld there appear, uh, and, and, sorry, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. Can you imagine? These disciples, all the stories, the traditions that they'd heard, you know, Passover, they'd heard the Old Testament being, being read in the synagogues, they'd heard about Elijah, they'd heard about Moses, great men of faith. And they appear to the disciples on this mountain. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, what does, it, what does Peter say? It is good for us to be here. And it is. It's good to be and to have a mountaintop experience. It's good to experience the Lord. Um, he says, if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. He wanted to stay there. One for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. See, when... 
We were on the mountain top. We had this great experience. And we read here that they saw Jesus only. They were looking to him. That's who they saw. They weren't looking at the problems around them, but they saw Jesus. They were looking to him. Um, you know, the reason a lot of times why we don't see Jesus is because we don't lift up our eyes. Um, that's what the disciples did. It says in verse 8, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man. They saw Jesus. You know, that's what we need to start doing in our Christian lives. When we're seeing all the problems and the trials and the hard times coming against us, we see men maybe trying to discourage us. Look to Jesus. It says here that they saw no man save Jesus only. We need to do that. I wonder how is it today? Do you still enjoy seeing Jesus only? When was the last time that we had a mountain meeting with him? You know, the pastor this morning, he was preaching about um, missions and the calling that has been given to Gareth to be a missionary, and he's reminding him of the importance of devotion time. It's important time. You need to have it. Because before you go to other people, you need first to go to the Lord. Um, you know, it's not just for missionaries. It's for each and every one of us. Before we step out the door in the morning, before we try to be a witness, before we meet people, we need to meet first with the Lord. I wonder how is our devotional time with the Lord? Do we spend any time with him? If we don't, we need to try to set a time with God every day. It's so important. Um, so we see here that mountaintop experiences for a Christian but we see also the descent from the glory of our Savior. Um, if you have a look in verse 9 of Matthew 17, it says, And as they came down from the mountain. Jesus couldn't stay up there on the mountain. There was a work for him to do. There was a valley for our Lord to descend into. Um, a valley of trials. A valley of humbling. A valley of testing. Jesus couldn't stay up there on that mountain, and neither could the disciples. Uh, but it says here in verse 9 that as they came down, wouldn't it be lovely to stay up there? We're going to be up there one day. We will, very soon. And believe the Bible when it says that we're not going to come down from that mountaintop. We're going to be with our Lord for eternity, in the glory. But until then... Do you know that the one who knew the heights of glory also knew the descent into the valley? Philippians chapter 2 again. If you just turn there. Philippians 2. And verse 7. And here we see that the one who was equal with God, in verse 7 says, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So we see here that there's a humbling now of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's equal with God, but he's taken on him the form of a servant. He's coming down from the mountain. He's coming down, down now into a valley. What a valley that was. And I believe that as we read the New Testament, I believe that the lowest valley that the Lord descended into 
It was actually when he was on that cross. And I'd like to show you um, some words that the Lord Jesus spoke. And these are prophetic words. These are words that came out of the mouth of King David. If you'd like to look in Matthew 27. And uh, this very possibly, I believe, that this is the lowest point that the Lord um, had to descend into. And uh, we just read it in verse 46. Remember that the Lord Jesus um, had been on that cross for many hours. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if there was ever a valley that our Lord Jesus Christ descended into, this was possibly the lowest valley where he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did Jesus say those words? Well, we know that Jesus Christ at that point took on him the sin of you and me and everybody, all the way back to Adam and all the way to the last person. All the sin came upon Jesus. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 50 says that Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. You know, many people, they often boast about the distance that man can travel today. You know, when you think about, um, you know, this boss of Vir uh, the Virgin uh, boss, you know, he's thinking now about going up into space, taking people on trips out there. And great, you know, nothing ever like this has, uh, has happened before. You know, when we think about the distance that Jesus Christ traveled from, from the heights of glory down to this earth to be spat upon, to be mocked, to be beaten, to have a crown of thorns placed on his head, to be bleeding, to be spat upon, and to end up on that cross and to say those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What a valley that our Lord descended into. And you know why he did it? He did it for you. And for me, because he loves us. You realize that Jesus gave up heaven's glory to die for you on the cross. I wonder this evening, has he become your savior yet? Do you know him as your personal savior? So we see the descent from glory of our savior but we also can see from the scriptures the descent from the mountaintop for the Christian as well. We know the Bible says, we just read that they descended from the mountain. Let's just have a look at another example from the Old Testament as we look at Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 24. And uh, you remember <clears throat> that um, Moses had been called by God himself to come up and to worship the Lord on the mount. Okay? And if we just take it up in verse 1, it says here that, and, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. So again, we see that these, these people are, are going up to worship. Um, and then it says in verse 2, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. So we see now that Moses has been called by himself 
to come right up into the presence of the Lord. So we see here a mountaintop experience for Moses. Let's just carry on. Verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Verse 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Verse 13. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. Let's just carry on. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And what does it say next? It says, And the glory of the Lord abode upon the Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. What a sight that must have been. And verse 18, Moses went into the midst of the cloud. He was in the midst of the blessings, the midst of the presence of God. And it says, and get him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Here is an example of a man that was experiencing the blessings, the mountaintop with God. Um, but Moses also experienced coming down from that mountain. Let's just carry on in chapter 32. And we see here, as he comes into his valley experience, Chapter 32 of Exodus, and we're going to read from verse 15. It says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written, and the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Were they singing praises to the Lord? No, I don't think they were. Let's just carry on. Um, 19, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. Wow. Those, command, those stones must have been really precious to Moses. Written with the, the finger of God. And he, he breaks them. He cast them out of his hands. And he says in verse 20, And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Wow, Moses. A few seconds earlier, he was on that mount. Presence of God, experiencing the blessings. What a wonderful time this must have been. And then, he starts to come down the mountain, down into the valley, and he sees the children of Israel prostituting themselves. We false gods, idols. This must have upset Moses. Can you imagine the difference that he must have experienced? This valley was not a pleasant place for Moses to come into. But you know that God 
use this time. Let's just have a look in verse 26. It says, Then Moses stood in the gates of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And you know that God was in the process of making a leader out of a man who had just been, who was just going into a valley experience. God was preparing this man to do a great work. The elders of Israel were coming to him and um, the sons of Levi. God was testing. God was trying Moses and he was going to use this experience for Moses to become a better leader. And that's how God uses these experiences in our lives as well. You know, we're thinking about Gareth going out into the mission field Today, maybe like a mountaintop experience. But tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen in the months, the years to come? Gareth may experience um, trials, hard times, discouragements. But we're going to see this evening, as we look at the scriptures, that God is there for us. He was there for Moses. And he's there to, he uses these things. He brings, he allows these things to come into our lives to try our faith, to test us and to make us stronger, to make our trust uh, for God even more. Um, let's just have a look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. How do I know that there's going to be um, persecutions along the road for Christians that want to live godly? Because the Bible tells us so. Timothy 3 and verse 12, and we need to take note of this verse. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus may, no, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. If you're going to live godly for Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer persecution. It's part of the package, if you like. It comes along. It's going to happen. You want to live godly for, for, the, for your Savior, there is going to be, down the, down the line somewhere, persecution. People are not going to like it. Satan certainly doesn't. I wonder this evening, are you in a place this evening? You may be asking, as the psalmist asked in Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord? How long? How long am I going to be in this hard place? How long am I going to be with these real trials that I'm experiencing right now in my life? Is the Lord trying to teach you something in the valley right now? Only you can answer that question. Only I can answer that question for myself. But if we are going through a hard time right now, experiencing some real trials, take heart that God is at work, and he can use this trial, this hard time, for your good and for his glory. So, first of all, we see the position of the valley going down. We experience that in our Christian lives. Secondly, I want us to have a look at the produce of the valley. 
And uh, this is where we can get real application and encouragement this, this evening. Remember that, as I said before, nothing really much grows on the mountaintop, but it does in the valley. And it's the same spiritually as well. The produce in the valley of our Savior's life. What was the produce? What came from the valley experiences in our Lord's life? What was the fruit that came from it? Well, if you have a look in Hebrews chapter 2, was there any point to it all? <laughs> was there any point for our Savior to come from that glory and to end up on that cross? Uh, Hebrews 2, and let's have a look at verse 9. It says, But we, the Christians, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. That's why he, he was made a little lower than the angels. Verse 10 says, For it became him whom, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The produce in the valley of our Saviour's life was the fruit of salvation. Um, just turn to Hebrews chapter 1. The fruit of his trials, of his humbling himself, and of his obedience was to your benefit and to mine. And it's the fruit of salvation. Chapter 1 of Hebrews and verse 3 says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Our Saviour, through all the trouble, all the trials that he went through, he's happy, he's pleased for what he went through for, for us. The Bible says that he sat on the right hand of the Father. That means that he's satisfied. The work has been accomplished. And he's satisfied that he brought salvation to us. That's wonderful. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know that if you're a Christian this evening, that you are the fruit of his suffering. You're the produce. Our salvation. It's wonderful. You never thank the Lord enough. What about the produce in the valley of the Christian life? What fruit could there ever be in my suffering? <laughs> what, what's the point of it all? What fruit could there be in the trials that I'm going through, in the sufferings? Is there any point to it all? Well, there is. And that's good news, isn't it, for us? It's not just pointless. You know, when we can see that God has a plan and God is in it with us, that, that gives us hope. Whatever we're going to go through, whatever we're going through right now, let's just have a look what James tells us. James 1, 
about these trials and these hard times. Why? What's the point? Why do we suffer these things? Why have we got to go through them? Well, the Lord allows them for a good purpose. And we see in verse 2, my brethren, again, is talking to the Christians, count it all, what's the next word? Joy. Then he says, when ye fall into diverse temptations, when you're going to go through trials, he's saying, count it all joy. Why? Verse 3, knowing this, that the, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This is the reason why we, the Lord allows these hard trials and times for us to go through. He has a purpose for it. And that purpose is stated here is to create patience in us. Do we, any people here tonight don't need to have patience? <laughs> we all need it. Some probably more than others. Myself. I'm an impatient person. Naturally. I am. Um, but I would imagine that you could be an impatient person as well if you were under hard trials and temptations in your life. You want those to be re being removed straight away. But sometimes the Lord might just allow those things just to carry on a little bit longer. You might not understand why, but the Lord has a purpose in it all. And that purpose is to create patience. The only way we can have patience created in us is when we're tested. When we need to wait. And it says, let patience have a perfect work. It's a perfect work. It's right. It's going to do us good. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And that's the whole plan in it all. That's what God wanted from Moses. He wanted Moses to be perfect Entire wanting nothing. He allowed this experience to come into his life. And he used Moses through it. The same with us. These trials, these hard times that we experience, God can use these for good. How are we going to respond to them? He's going to use the valley. He's going to use it. Um, verse 2. Of James, let's just have a look. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What a, this might seem like a contradiction. Joy and trials together. One last verse, uh, Psalm 23, because when we're in these hard times, we need to know that the Lord is with us. We've been thinking in our Sunday school about confidence, how we have confidence um, over fear, over, oh, how we have confidence over our foes, over our enemies, uh, and our confidence is knowing that God is with us. Let's just have a look at David in this psalm. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and then he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The psalmist here was confident that he was not going to fear evil. No matter what was going to come against him, God was with him there. And as Gareth was reminded this morning, 
But God has said in the Bible, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Never. That's encouraging to know. Whatever you may be going through, the psalmist says here, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He's with you this evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you this evening, Lord, for just um, showing us, dear Lord, these examples of um, our Saviour and, Lord, how he willingly came down from the glory and suffered, went into the valley of death and suffered for us. And, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that this evening, dear Lord, that we are the produce, we are the benefits of that sacrifice, our salvation. And we just thank you this evening, dear Lord, for doing that for us. But Lord, we just pray that for us as Christians, Lord, we thank you for those mountaintop experiences that you give to us. But dear Lord, there's also those valleys that we need to go through. And Lord, help us to be encouraged tonight to know that these are for our good. And we know that, dear Lord, you are with us there. And Lord, you will be there for us each day. Lord, we just pray that you would help us. Help us to know your presence, your nearness with us. Whatever we may be going through this evening, Lord, just pray that that person may just know that you are with them there. Encourage them, we pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.